Welcome to the Tuesday Night IBS Podcast, hosted by Johanna Ruddy. The podcast connects patients and providers with information and education about the diagnosis and treatment of IBS and related diagnosis. Each month, we feature a new episode with guest experts in the field of motility and neurogastroenterology who share the latest science and data for diagnosing and treating these conditions, as well as conversations about their impact on a patient's quality of life. Just a reminder, the information provided in this podcast is for informational and educational use only and should never be substituted for medical advice. Always work with your doctor to diagnose and treat your IBS symptoms effectively. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Tuesday night IBS podcast episode. So excited to have you join us for our February programming where we've been talking about the overlap of IBS with IBD. And if you recall, uh, 40% of patients who have uh, IBD, even in remission, still have IBS and IBS symptoms of altered bowel habit, abdominal pain, bloating, and the like. And so we are today addressing how those symptoms can be effectively managed through the use of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT for short. We talked about it on our webinar and we've talked about it on Twitter. And here we are now talking about it in more detail on our podcast episode. And I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, uh, Mr. Simon Levy from Mahana IBS. Uh, Simon is the CEO and the co-founder of Mahana, which offers uh, CBT as a digital therapeutic for IBS, and we'll talk to him about that in a moment. Joining us also today is Dr. Emmer Meyer. Uh, you may have heard of him or uh, some of his books. He is um, a best-selling author and a distinguished research professor in the departments of medicine and physiology and psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. He's also the executive director of the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience and the founding director of the UCLA Brain Gut Microbiome Center. He's really been a leader in the area of brain gut research and in gastroenterology. And I'm really excited that he's joining us today as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Mayer, but also um, an IBS patient, Diane is joining us today as well. And we're so excited to hear a little bit from her, from the patient perspective about her her illness journey and her use of uh, the Mahana IBS app. Um, utilizing CBT for her management of IBS. Uh, Simon, I'd like to start off with you um, and, and get a little bit of a better understanding about, you know, who Mahana is, why you guys decided to, to get into the IBS space and why you chose uh, CBT as a a therapy modality to, to try and digitize and get um, expanded access for patients. So maybe let's start off with, you know, your journey with Mahana. I know you're the co-founder. How did that all begin? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Mahana was, was founded as a company uh, a little more than five years ago. Um, but the, the exploration of this into the space started long before that. So uh, my, my business partner had a, a close friend suffering from a chronic GI disorder and had really been 
uh, exploring the space at treatments um, and uh, looking at uh, the, the GI model more generally. So he, what he found in the early exploration was that there was a, a, a gap uh, between uh, what was being offered to patients, uh, what GI uh, providers could provide and what patients really wanted and needed. And that really launched our uh, investigation in the space. I, I initially came on as the, the technical co-founder. I come from a, a long um, technical background in Silicon Valley. Um, and I, I jumped in really just, just to help. Um, and as we came together, we, uh, we started doing a lot more exploring and uh, found uh, by, by really starting with the science and looking at a lot of the, the clinical literature that existed in the space, that there was a, a huge opportunity um, with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, is very well studied. At the time, there had been uh, more than 45 uh, uh, papers published in the space that showed great results. Um, and a great efficacy of delivering cognitive behavioral therapy to help patients with, with, uh, with IBS. And um, really, uh, our, our backgrounds really, really converged. He, he came from more of a, a pharmaceutical and venture capital background. I'm coming from a technology background. And what, what we came together and, and, and created is uh, a type of product which, which scales something like cognitive behavioral therapy to a lot of people. Because when you look at cognitive behavioral therapy, you see it's effective um, and, and oftentimes works for the right patients. However, uh, there's a, a huge shortage of uh, psychotherapists and, and more specifically psychotherapists trained in delivering gut-directed therapies. So when you uh, merge that with a lot of the, the research that had been done, uh, which matches well with what uh, ultimately has become the, the Mahana product is you can really deliver this type of therapy to a lot more people when you put it into this, this form factor and really leverage technology as the, the mechanism for scale. Um, since the very beginning, we, we, uh, we started with, again, science and, and we're able to quickly recruit a lot of the, the key thought leaders, folks such as Emmer Mayer, uh, to to jump in and help us and really steer the development of the project. And then ultimately um, led us to, to King's College, which had been studying this for uh, more than 20 years. Um, and that's where we found the protocol, which ultimately became the Mahana IBS that you see today. Yeah, that's great. It is wonderful that you have such a really robust uh, group of, of clinicians and researchers uh, working with you to put this together. Um, and, and using the evidence to support it. I, I really, I have to say, you know, and, and we talked about this last month um, with the, the folks at Metami with the gut-directed hypnotherapy um, a digital app. Um, I love that both you at Mahana and Metami have gone through the rigorous process of a clinical trial to get FDA clearance of this as a therapy for IBS, because I think that that speaks to your dedication to the patient. It speaks to your, your dedication to the science and continuing to improve um, and, and use evidence-based um, protocols. And so, you know, to me, that speaks to safety, um, reliability, all of those things that are so important when we're thinking about any sort of treatment option. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about why you chose to go that path? Because, you know, that takes longer. It's more expensive. It's, you know, as you know, it, it's a much uh, deeper road to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's uh, you, you, you already uh, framed it well, which is our, our belief that these things need to be rooted in science and evidence. And honestly, when you look at the, the spectrum of ways to do that, the FDA is a, a, a faster path sometimes because they uh, really aid in, in, in the legitimacy and, and the review um, and provide uh, assurance that helps us get this into the hands of more patients effectively. So uh, and the, the other big element is around safety. We uphold ourselves to a, a higher level of quality and safety than many other products out there are, are held to. Um, and that's through the FDA process. Everything needs to go through uh, what's called a quality management system and be uh, reviewed. And we need to make decisions based on safety constantly as we uh, continue to develop the product. Um, and it's very important with a condition like IBS as well, where there are a lot of more severe uh, things that can be happening. So uh, I mean, why, why we are prescription only, um, is that with, with IBS, as, as you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of patients can have more serious conditions and it's important that they do see a medical professional to make sure that those things are ruled out before going into a program like this. And delaying some of those, um, uh, those diagnostics can actually be harmful uh, if ignored. So I think it, it, it aligns well with the, the broader regulatory guidance, which is driven by experts at the FDA within GI uh, to provide the best level of quality and safety to our, to our patients. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And, and going through a diagnostic process as a patient and ruling out um, those red flag symptoms um, that could mm -hmm. potentially be something else other than IBS and then getting that firm and clear diagnosis and then moving into this as a management option makes complete sense. And and so let's talk a, a little bit more about that. Um, who is Mahana IBS suitable for? So um, it's, a, it, as you know, it was, it was well studied in a, in a very, very large randomized controlled trial uh, based out of the UK. Um, and in our current FDA label uh, indicates that it's, it's suitable for patients over 22 years of age with any type of IBS, which is also important because our product like Metamese are the, the first product that are actually indicated to treat all subtypes, um, right. which, which is new relative to pharmaceutical products. Right. So um, we're, we're, we're excited to, to offer that. Yeah, that's great. And that's an excellent point. Usually we're looking at diarrhea predominant, constipation predominant, really nothing if you're stuck in the middle, like some of us. Um, but this is a great option for all subtypes, which is a really good point to make. Um, and, and you mentioned that it is prescription only. So patients are going to access this how? Yeah. So uh, you obtain a, a prescription from your physician. So, and this is where the, the consult piece comes in, is um, folks presenting with IBS as like symptoms should, should see a physician um, and it, it becomes a clinical decision if IBS is, is right at that point in time for the patient. Once you have the prescription, uh, it's an entirely digital process. So we've partnered with a, a digital pharmacy um, who uh, handles the quality part of the process um, and also uh, works with insurance providers to understand what the insurance uh, coverage is for our product. Um, and, and they, they handle payment for the product as well. Uh, after that, 
the, the prescription is, is, is sent directly to the patient via text message. And the, the product itself is just a smartphone application. So it's available in the, the iOS and Android app stores, um, and you can download it today. Uh, in fact, we, we offer um, an informational uh, part of the program, which comes before the prescription. Um, which uh, helps familiarize patients with what cognitive behavioral therapy is before having to go through the, the prescription process. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really good. Um, Diane, I'd like to switch over to you and hear a little bit about your experience with IBS. Um, you know, how long you, you've had the diagnosis and, and what the, the most bothersome symptoms were for you leading up to using the Mahana app. Yeah. So growing up, I always had GI issues, but I didn't get officially diagnosed until I went to university. I didn't have health insurance growing up. So any symptoms I had were typically dealt with more homeopathic therapies rather than seeing an actual clinician. And so when I was struggling with my gastrointestinal symptoms, I went to see a gastroenterologist at college and They helped rule out, we went through a whole diagnostics process, and they ruled out a lot of other major disorders and concluded with IBS. And so for me, I really struggled with abdominal bloating and pain often at times. I do have IBS-M, so both constipation and diarrhea. Yes. So I, I do have the mix, and it goes back and forth, and it's pretty inconsistent. There's no pattern. And I think that made the struggle that much harder because I didn't know what to expect with my bowels. Um, But after I was diagnosed, you know, my gastroenterologist put me in touch with a dietitian to see if we could narrow down if there are some foods that were more irritable to my bowels than others. But because there wasn't really a known cure that I knew for IBS, I just went through the struggles. I did what I could with the dietitian, but with a college budget, it was very difficult <laughs> to maintain and upkeep a sure. sort of semi-healthy diet. Um, and I often struggled with my eating disorder as well, which put me in a constant loop of not eating at for long periods of time, maybe working out for long periods of time. And all of that very much exacerbated a lot of mm. my symptoms. And so coming out of yeah. that, I was very tired, just exhausted from the symptoms. I didn't know what helped. I tried looking up even on Amazon, IBS-friendly medications. And of course, you know, we talked about quality and FDA approval, and I was just taking anything that I could find <laughs> and also suffer the consequences for some of them. Sure. Just did not sit well with my body. Yeah. But Yeah. And then luckily, I think it was through an email chain talking about various opportunities. I was looking for a job, fresh out of college, no health insurance. And I saw that Mahana was looking for patients who had been diagnosed with IBS to see if they'd be willing to try CBT, try this app, um, give some feedback and see how that journey would go. So that's how my journey with Mahana before it was Mahana got started. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while now, four years. You know, it's interesting um, that you 
Well, you mentioned two things that were interesting to me um, in some of my own research and work and that we hear from a lot of patients as well, which is, um, you know, we know that dietary therapies can be really beneficial as well as medical management and brain gut behavioral therapy um, all kind of working in, in unison. But for a lot of patients like myself, and it sounds like for you as well, um, diet can be a slippery slope sometimes. Um, especially when we have kind of a, a an OCD personality. <laughs> and so we're always trying to, to find that trigger that's causing our symptoms and that can cause a hypervigilance and then almost turn into a, a, a disordered eating situation where we, you know, start over restricting our diets and we become nutritionally deficient and really driving our symptoms even more. And so very much counterproductive and not, not helpful at all. And really increasing our, our anxiety uh, around food and around our symptoms. So I can definitely relate to your, your story. And I know a lot of patients can as well. I'm curious, um, now that, you know, you said you've been using it for, or you started, I guess you, you found it four years ago. What was that like? Um, you know, did you have any reservations thinking, gosh, you know, this is a, a, a cognitive behavioral therapy, a psychological uh, approach. Is that going to work? Is that, does that mean that my symptoms aren't real, that they're not, you know, physical or, or physi- have a physiology to them? Did you have any of those thoughts at all? What were your thoughts around that? I think at that point in my IBS journey, I had already been feeling gaslighted by my symptoms, not necessarily by the treatment itself, but just the journey of seeing my gastroenterologist and even discussing with some other primary care physicians, it felt like it was phantom pain at times Mm. because they just couldn't pinpoint a specific disorder in the diagnostics process outside of IBS. And there, there was no cure. So because of that, I was already so exhausted from the journey that for me, the moment I saw, you know, this may help you with your IBS. And it was specifically targeting IBS, I was actually very ecstatic and excited to see what CBT would be about. And because I studied biology and university, I was open to it. I hadn't heard of it before, the brain-gut connection. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it did paint me a picture of why I was having more distressful bowel movements when I had test anxiety during school. Or if I was just anxious about anything in general, if I was going through any particular life stressors, I did realize that my stomach pains and my bowel movements were also considerably in a worsened state. So Mm -hmm. that put together a picture for me to realize, oh, maybe what I think and how I feel does affect how my gut communicates with each other and produces these mixed bowel movements. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting that you were able to, to, you know, make those connections. What did you find that was the most useful about the, the Mahana IBS program for you and your particular symptoms? Yeah. So for me, I, through the Mahana ha- app, I realized I didn't implement very good daily habits. I was so used to being very pain conscious and Mm. pain avoidant that I was taking things to an extreme. So as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't eating properly. I was exercising to an extreme. I was trying to 
basically just avoid indulging when it came to food intake. And so because of that, you know, I realized that Mahana took the time to break down all these different daily habits, whether, you know, it's acknowledging some of the negative thoughts that are going through your head when you do have an IBS attack and then offering alternative thoughts or going into how if you're afraid that eating is going to cause more bloating, you can try implementing smaller meals instead of right. going your regular meals three times a day, the typical you know, schedule that a lot of people already have. And so it was a lot of those little tools that helped me realize and implement on a weekly basis what I could further improve on. And it also helped me realize how much of a negative headspace I had mm. towards my IBS and my symptoms overall. Yeah. I think anytime I was feeling a particular symptom, it was just a lot of negative self-talk. I was anxious about the symptoms, anxious about how it would affect my day, about how it would ruin my week and just mm -hmm. the night. And so that oftentimes led to an even worsening symptom, which I didn't realize at the time. But then Mahana had a section that talked about, you know, it's okay to acknowledge your symptoms. Don't rush it. Acknowledge your body. Feel the symptoms. Feel the blow. It's okay. Just practice practice all these different tools that we're laying out for you. And that actually changed my headspace to realize, you know, I can live with this condition. It doesn't have to be something I'm ashamed about, right? something that I have to hide or, you know, something that I have to give up on either. Right. That's great. So, so as a patient, um, who, who has used it, what would you say to other patients, um, who are considering using it as part of their management? I would say if you're at a point where you've tried everything that you can try giving CBT, the app, a chance because there's nothing you'd lose from going through this experience. And if anything, you'll learn a lot of tools and skills that'll help you even beyond just IBS, but yes. your overall well-being, which in turn will help your IBS. Yes, I totally agree with that. I think the skills learned in CBT are applicable to a lot of different life situations. Um, so I second that completely. Uh, what's your quality of life like now? How have things changed for you? It's changed a lot. I think before I was having IBS attacks, maybe two or three times a week, um, sometimes more. Oh. Now I'm, you know, once or twice every couple months. I barely wow. even remember sometimes that I have IBS. And then whenever I feel that, okay, I'm feeling a particular symptom then I always have the app on my phone to go back to. So it's almost like a safety net. And just mm -hmm. having that safety net on the back of my head does make me feel more at peace with having IBS. I know that there's something that I can refer to. And if anything, that's almost the biggest help that my yeah. is giving me. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like that access is therapeutic in itself. So that's mm -hmm. really great. I'm so pleased that you're doing so much better now. It sounds like a remarkable change. And um, thank you for sharing your, your journey with us. 
Simon, is is that kind of the same sort of story that you're hearing from other patients who have utilized the the Mahana app? Um, you know, I mean, everyone has their own experience and journey with something like cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's that that's kind of part of it. It's yeah. a lot of it is around light, lighting the path and walking and, and teaching teaching people. Uh, new ways of, of managing for IBS, but everyone interacts right. with it differently because it's a, a, a personal experience. And we do our best in the application to really bring that forward um, and make it as personalized as possible. Um, but I'll also say, uh, just, just pause and say, thank you, Diane, for, for sharing that. And it's, it's in, inspiring to, to the Mahana team as well, because you're exactly why mm why we work on these things and, 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 uh, and why we exist. So it's, it's, it's always so great to hear these stories. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's so important to, to continue to hear the patient's voice in all of these, um, you know, management options, whether they're pharmaceutical, whether they're brain gut behavioral therapy, whether they're diet, I think the patient perspective is so unique and a lot of providers, you know, are not also patients themselves. And so they, this is a, something they don't quite understand as a lived experience. So thank you for bringing that. Um, Simon, a couple of quick questions regarding CBT in general. Um, you know, we talked a little bit on the webinar last week about you know, that we don't exactly know the exact mechanism of how CBT works. Um, but we know that it's a combination of cognitive changes in how patients are are processing information about potential threat cues. Um, in this case, their their symptoms, um, but also that the quality of the of the patient provider relationship and um, kind of expectancy or 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 that uh, maybe a little bit of a placebo effect are likely as well. Um, what about durability? What do you have any data on on durability for CBT in general, or uh, is that something that you're planning on looking at with your um, with patients using the app in in the future? Um, yes, I mean evidence uh, is is something that we're always focused on and continually generating. Um, and durability is one of the big areas of focus of cognitive behavioral therapy because yeah. it, it's very different from a. a a pharmaceutical product, which which oftentimes requires uh, uh, heavy reuse uh, mm-hmm. to suppress symptoms. With cognitive behavioral therapy, we're we're teaching the skills that should be long lasting, and once taught those skills, they can be reused indefinitely over time. Um, I think one of the interesting areas that has been researched, which we're looking at, is around. Um, things like booster sessions, which are basically refreshing a lot of the skill work that has happened in cognitive behavioral therapy and how we can use that to push out durability as far as possible. Um, but when you do, when you do look at the, the, the primary trial, uh, that studied the, the protocol used for Mahan IBS, it did have, uh, uh, outcomes researched at 12 and 24 months. And in, in the, in the 12 month case, it did show lasting durability. In fact, it actually showed, um, more uh, more effect than it did uh, immediately post treatment, which, which indicates that with even more practice, people are feeling even better. Yeah, that's great. That's really good because I think that's really important for patients. You know, CBT is something that does require some work on behalf of the patient. You know, they have to be willing to put in the work and do the self examination and 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 work on reframing their thoughts and how they're, they're feeling and managing their symptoms. And so it's not just a something you, you, 
pop a pill or you, you know, you listen to some music, it, it requires some effort. Um, so I, I think that that's also reflective probably in some of that data that you're seeing too on durability over time, which makes complete sense. Um, any plans to expand into other disease states at all in the future? You know, it, it, it's something we're, we're always looking at, um, but we also want to be focused as a company and getting yeah. our IBS treatment to as many patients as possible. Yeah. Um, and any, any time you're in healthcare, you can you can look around and there are a lot of opportunities to improve things. Um, um, but we, we want to remain committed to our IBS patients and really uh, work on expanding access to the IBS program first before we go any further. And that it, there, there are multiple parties in that uh, uh, as well. And I think they're the patients first and foremost and what we can do to improve the product experience and really listen and work together to build the best product, but also providers because they're an integral part of this journey, especially because this is a prescription product. So we're spending a lot of time working with prescribers and providers who would be uh, offering this product to their patients and figuring out how to best serve them as well and how, how to uh, help facilitate uh, the, <laughs> the integration of CBT into our system. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, on that note, um, how, you know, what would you say to providers um, who maybe they're just now learning about this as an option for their patients with IBS? You know, I hear from a lot of providers in my work that they do feel a bit um, just frustrated that, you know, there aren't a lot of really good options to give to their patients. And, you know, some, some providers have said, gosh, I always feel so bad making that diagnosis thinking, God, but I don't have anything to offer them to help them really, you know, because some patients don't respond to medication and some patients don't respond to diet. And so I think some are just learning about this as, as a possible option for their patients. So what would you say to them, to the providers and the prescribers who are, who are considering this? I would say we, we'd love to talk. Um, we, we, we're, we're happy to um, talk to folks anywhere in their uh, understanding of CBT. We're happy to start from the beginning or start with folks who are very familiar and talk about uh, how, the, how the Mahana product works and how they can use it in their practice. Um, but we're early, so we, we want to be doing a lot of listening and talking to as many people as possible um, as we come through this. So uh, yeah, please reach out. Perfect. That's great. Dr. Mayer, um, question for you. I, you know, we've talked a lot about how the app um, was constructed and, and, and kind of the, the mission for Mahana to meet the needs of patients with IBS, but I'd love to hear from you um, in terms of the brain-gut axis. That's really what we're trying to target, right, with these patients who have IBS. Can you explain a little bit to us about what the brain-gut axis is, how it's influenced in IBS patients, and, and, and what we're trying to regulate here? Yeah, um, you know, thanks, Jana, for inviting me to this conversation, and um, I want to say one thing before I answer your question directly. So, you know, I have had a long interest in these mind-directed therapies in IBS because, you know, our group, um, together with Dr. Trostman, we were one of the, the earliest to say that the brain has a big role in this disorder, and it took about 40 yeah. years before that actually got accepted, but <clears throat> we we had programs set up in our, um, you know, in our division called the IBS class that... Um, 
um, where we would use cognitive behavioral therapies in a in a in a group of people. This was before the widespread acceptance of the internet. So and and nobody had iPhones. <laughs> and, and, and we found that that we actually did a study. We published a study, and it was actually quite successful. And we we contemplated the possibility to you know to sort of adapt this to to an internet version, but it was too early, you know. So it was um, I would say fifteen years ago. Um, so I'm delighted that Mahana is really taking this on, and you know taking the lead on on, on this. And I couldn't be more enthusiastic about endorsing that approach, you know, and um, so, um, yeah, so, so when the brain got the axis, I don't like the term axis because that kind of implies it's a linear system where, mm. where something happens either in the brain or in the gut, and then it just sends a signal to the other part. It's really a system, the brain-gut microbiome system or where all these nodes are interconnected with pathways, hormonal, nerve pathways, um, inflammatory pathways, and there's always feedback loops in it. So if you influence one thing, if you do something at the gut level, it doesn't necessarily mean it changes the brain and vice versa. I think an optimal way of doing is based on a systems approaches. Um, building the, 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 the treatment strategy on really this concept of these bi-directional brain-gut microbiome interactions. And we've learned a lot about this. Um, I mean, we knew a lot about brain-gut interactions, you know, for the last um, 35 years. Right. With, with the arrival of the microbiome, we realized we'd left out a very important part of it. And um, so I, I think most people today can accept the concept that the, that that the brain gets signals from the gut via the sensory nerves. Whole concept of a visceral hypersensitivity wouldn't be possible without the brain mm-hmm. amplifying the signals it gets from the gut. And we also know that the brain can send signals to the gut um, during the stress response, sympathetic nervous system, changing regional contractions, transit. Um, the, the unique thing is if you throw in these these 40 trillion microbes is why would they be able to be part of this? And well, to make a long story short, it's possible because they speak the same language. They use mm-hmm. some of the same molecules that our human cells use. There are many receptors on human gut cells, like the enterochromaffin cells with the serotonin that respond to signals from the microbes and and the microbes really listen into our emotional state, you know, whatever goes on within the brain, and these um, signals being transmitted via the autonomic nervous system, particularly the sympathetic, um, will alter the microbial behavior. They they have receptors for like norepinephrine, and if you are stressed, the microbes know that too and yeah. change their behavior. So. Um, it's it's sort of a beautiful story, really, you know, how we are connected to the most ancient and most abundant life form on this planet, you know, because, I mean, the microbes have been around for billions of years, long before any animal appeared. And um, we have taken over their language and, you know, now everything fits together. That's fascinating. I, I can't wait to talk to you further about your work in this area too later in the, in the summer when we're planning a, a full program around this, which I'm really excited about. Um, so 
in terms of how this is the um how CBT is working to modulate the that dysregulation that you talked about. Um, but not only that, to work within the brain's response to the dysregulation, right? Because is it true CBT is not necessarily influencing the symptoms themselves, but influencing how the patient is responding to those symptoms? Well, I mean, the way that I see it is, you know, um, so so the brain, uh, somebody has written a book on this, is, is the ultimate prediction machine, um, you know, and it predicts events on a millisecond level, day and night, on a minute level, an hour level, but also even further out, if, if you, you know, if, if you take a, take a trip and get on the plane, Plane, the brain already makes a prediction. Is there a bathroom? You know, I'm worried that there's oh. not a bathroom in the right place. So the brain constantly does that, and um, it has a network of regions called the salient system. And if that um, if that network is programmed in a way that it assumes a higher risk uh, with a greater likelihood, um, something that in psychology has been used for this not not a very good term. Patients don't like it. Is catastrophizing, right? You know, but it's it's from an engineering standpoint, some something that every you know person that works on self-driving cars, which are also prediction machines, you know, knows. Yeah. And um, so, if you had a self-driving car and you had that same uh, alteration that in humans is this prediction error and catastrophizing, the car would stop all the time. Uh, without you know, without uh, really real threats happening, because th- that computer of this car would always anticipate something bad is going to happen. Uh, and so, a simple way to think about. Um, well, then I should say another thing. So, <clears throat> this these predictions become part of the reality. What, like what we perceive as 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 reality is both what we get from our senses. But also what we pro- project on it, um, you know, from these, from from the salience network. So what we actually, what a patient actually perceives, is a combination of the constructs in their brain that they project on the reality, and the information they get from sensory nerves in the gut, and uh, uh, you know, which play a big role. This increased sensitivity, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think. I mean, to ultimately prove that um, neuroimaging has been used to get closer to understanding if 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 these um, neurobiological theories are really the right ones to explain it, and we'll always learn something new from those studies as they get more and more sophisticated. But I think they're definitely consistent with that CBT will aim to normalize these prediction errors and. Um, um and once that happens obviously it's much less often than the alarm bells go up within yeah. the brain so another network the emotional arousal system and the autonomic uh the central autonomic uh network and so you get less reactivity uh stress reactivity to the same event so you would say if you do cbt successfully an individual that is exposed to a stressor before therapy and after therapy would show a different stress response 
because that whole event is processed differently within the brain and will not trigger the same autonomic and and sensory changes that happens in a typically in an IBS patient's brain. Really interesting. So, will does that extend to other areas outside of their IBS symptoms, other potential threat cues in their life that maybe are stressors that they would respond to in a in a more healthy manner with the skills that they learned? Um, absolutely. So, um, you know, just going back to this, so if if your brain makes these predictions um, that are kind of threatening to the balance of homeostasis in the body, then it triggers these alarm bells, you have, you have these autonomic reactions. Um, and during that process, if the brain perceives that something is threatening, it increases its sensitivity, not just in the gut, but also the visual sensitivity because the brain now wants to know everything exactly because it's mm. worried something bad is going to happen. So it's um, the taste, the smell, the um, touch, you know, somatic sensitivity. All of these will increase in sensitivity. And that has been shown. Um, and it's probably the reason why, you know, there are these overlapping, these chronic overlapping pain conditions. Yeah. yeah. That, that IBS is really rarely in isolation. It's it's often with other you know comorbid conditions, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because it's that the sensory perception of all these other stimuli will increase as well. So if you do a successful cognitive behavioral therapy, you tune down the this this prediction error or this um, um, exaggerated perception of a of a threat. It will affect these other systems the same way, you know. Yeah. It's um, um, and, and it's right. it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So we've been doing studies looking at the um, the the sympathetic tone. Um, so even if you don't do anything, you sit calm in the stool or in the, in the scanner and in in the laboratory, you can measure that in IBS patients in, in the majority of IBS patients. There's this increased sympathetic nervous system tone that, um, for example, affects immune cells and metabolism, and hmm. so that's that's another reason that's also shared with these other chronic pain conditions. So I think what's exciting about CBT is this is a therapy that um, is, is 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 likely if it's used widespread and the right studies are being done. That you'll see, and you know, Jeff Lackner has done some studies where he has already yeah. that other symptoms also decrease in severity. That's exactly what I would expect to happen. Yeah, I think you know, I can speak to my own experience having used CBT for for my own um, IBS symptoms, but also um, with my widespread pain syndrome that I had as well. It definitely, um, I felt benefit from, from both conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and also just feeling of more control over my response to things, um, feeling that I was not quite so in like a panic mode when I would be faced with a, a stressor related to my symptoms, you know, um, 
finding all the restrooms were full um, in the restaurant, you know, that sort of a panic that I would enter into, um, I could handle in a much more um, positive way. And then in turn, my symptoms would kind of dial back down again. Um, So I can, from my own experience, I can speak to that, that uh, extension into other areas. Um, I'm curious, um, how CBT differs in terms of, of its target from gut-directed hypnotherapy. Um, we've talked a lot about that on our program last month. And um, and so, you know, can you explain a little bit around the differences between the two? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they certainly downstream have similar effects. Yeah. Know, in terms of, um, a greater sense of control if you do the self-hypnosis. And um, uh, we've done a study once with Swedish collaborators where we actually showed changes in the brain. And it was hmm. there, there was many of these changes in the in the insula, uh, the anterior insula, which is a re- uh, region that plays a big, this is a key part of the salient system. The same, you know, that evaluates the right. stress um, um, posed by certain situations. <clears throat> Um, I would say what's important for both of those te- what's similar for both is it's their self-management techniques. If if somebody perceives hypnotherapies, you go for five sessions and then your IBS is gone, that's not gonna work. Um if you um if you incorporate the self-hypnotic techniques into your daily life, I mean just like you would do with CBT, then I, I would say they are comparable therapies. Um both targeted to a certain degree at the at the salient system within the brain, mm. you know, not not identical, but um, I think I mean I don't know what's your what your impression is how patients perceive hypnotherapy. If that's a quick fix, you know, I go five times to a therapist, yeah. and then I have like the magic, you know, yeah, uh, that that's just an uh, you know it doesn't apply to any. Because in order to change these brain systems, you know, the learning process, um, and we don't know, does it actually change the, uh, you know, does it change the structure of nerve pathways if you do this on a regular basis? My guess is it probably will to a certain degree, you know, but um, they're they're not, neither one of those are quick fixes, you know? No, I agree. I, I mean, we talked, um, we've talked before on our program about how um, brain gut behavioral therapies all require a certain amount of effort um, on behalf of the patient for them to be successful. You know, it's not a pill that you just pop once a day and and it solves all your problems. Like you have to commit to it. You have to understand your role in it. Um, And and if you're willing to do that, then you're going to find some benefits. And so I think you're absolutely right um, in terms of the patient's response to it. Definitely, and it and it will definitely select certain patients. You know, we see this mm-hmm. for example, when we have studies where we, like right now, we have an ongoing study where we use the Mahana um, app, <clears throat> and you know, it's been surprising to us. It's been relatively difficult to recruit patients. We thought, you know, we would have uh, hmm. people lined up to, you know, for that study. Yeah. Um, we've in the past also done studies with. Uh, you know, with herbal treatments or with, um, you know, with with a, with a new medication, um, 
so natural or 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 with yogurt, you know, with a probiotic. Yeah, sure. Um, so some of these things where people don't really have to commit to, you know, like a, <laughs> they they're much more popular. So it, it will yeah. sprout people. You know, some won't won't do sure. it. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's it's interesting to think about that. Um, I I I wonder um, about you know, the, the idea with patients, um, and, you know, as a provider, are, do you, when you make a recommendation to a patient for CBT or gut directed hypnotherapy or any other, um, brain gut modality, do you, do you find any resistance to that? Or, or have you already prefaced that with a good amount of education about the the physiology of what's going on and making sure that they understand the the diagnosis is legitimate and it's not a, a psychological uh, diagnosis that you're giving them. Cause I, I find that's really important in order to get buy-in for patients to want to use these therapies. Yeah, that, that is, it's, it's a very good point, Joanna. Um, and things have changed, you know, when, when I look back 20 years, this was definitely a barrier, you know, that yeah. you have to, had to overcome and um it's 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 changed so dramatically now you know since i published my two books and people come actually with the book and say yeah. i'm patient so and so in in your book so there's no there's almost no need for further education you know that's they, great those who have not read the books um i spend about i would say I spend at least half of my session with them um on education and, mm-hmm. and explain them the system and for I would say for ninety nine percent it makes total sense and they they you know a common saying is if I'd known this ten years ago uh, my life would have gone differently um, yeah you know because they've been blamed and psychological and hysterical and um, yeah. imagined symptoms and so if if they get this feeling that there's somebody who who, who really believes them everything that they say and um, and has a you know, a, a biological answer to their questions. Right. I, yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's really critical. Um, what about, um, you know, I know you've worked with Mahana, you know, as a, as a medical advisor throughout this process, how important to you was it that Mahana went through the rigorous uh, clinical trial work to become cleared with the FDA as a digital therapeutic? Uh, as opposed to just going straight to market with this and and not going through that process, um, was that something of, of a consideration to you in your your work with them? I I thought it was a great thing that the company takes that on that challenge. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's other um, apps you know that are used for for the mental um, um, dysregulation, like Headspace. That, Mm-hmm. Which go through some became really popular. Right. They took a totally different pathway, you know, to yeah. success. Yeah. But as a as a physician, I I thought this was a great way of doing it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it it took longer, but the success definitely justified that 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 effort, you know. And right. I'm not sure if um so certainly amongst my patients. It wouldn't make a difference if I said, you know, this is an FDA-approved therapy, and therefore you should do it. You know, I I convinced them that this is fits exactly, you know, the biological models that we have. What what goes wrong in an IBS patient's brain and how mm-hmm. it can be corrected. 
but I guess in in many private practices that that FDA um, affirmation I think is is probably an, an an important argument. Yeah. 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 What what would you say to providers um, who are are still you know learning about the the uh, as an option for their patient, um, you know, what would you say to them to encourage them to consider it for for the patients that it, it, that are qualified for this? Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things happening now. You know, with um, with this whole evolution of neurogastroenterology, and and you guys from the Rome Foundation have contributed a lot to that. That. Yeah. At, at big national meetings that this is now sort of being, you know, t- taught to physicians and gastroenterologists. Um, if, if somebody, I think what would be, be really important to even get more detailed, targeted education about these simple brain models, the way that I explained it to you. And, and, yeah. and maybe the way I explained it was not quite simple enough. You know, it could still do this with animation and, um, yeah. That that everybody, because I do see it on my patients. You know, they say, "Wow, I, I I never thought about this." You know, it makes total sense to me. Right. If the, if the patients can see this, why would not any physician be able to see that? You know. It, right. It's, uh, yeah. Well, and I think you know, of course, it is still um, kind of becoming mainstream, I guess, in GI um, with the adoption, you know, by the major GI societies, and and now with the expanded access with Mahana and and some of the other um, digital apps, which is great. Um, and I think you know, the the more it's talked about at meetings and and education provided to to the GI docs about this, um, hopefully. The more patients will get access to it um, and and be able to benefit from it. So I think we just have to continue to champion it from all angles. <laughs> and there's and there's one thing so I mentioned that that word headspace before. You know that that yeah. is a, kind of a remarkable success story that yeah <clears throat> that that has become mainstream. You know, mm-hmm. so many people use that. Um, and if you said this like 10 years ago, even, you know, it w- would not have been imaginable that that would be so popular. Um, yeah. It probably appeals more to younger people, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what the demographics are, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think younger people are are um, more likely to adopt some of the, the digital health options, the virtual health options that are becoming more and more available, even specialized care um, for, you know, for GI is, you know, very becoming very widely available with um, companies like Oshi and some others that are providing that care um, on a virtual basis. And I think it's appealing to a lot of patients who um, have lacked access, frankly, for a long time. Um, So it's, it's, it's good in that regard. Yeah, because uh, so this was one of the reasons, you know, um, I, I think why my cognitive behavioral therapy it, it was not really something realistic or practical before right. these this, this app became available. Because, you know, like at UCLA, um, most people come from from like from the west side of Los Angeles, but then we also had quite a few people from you know Las Vegas or. Sure. Uh, rural areas, they don't have therapists who, you know, they don't have any therapists. So if, if right. they had one, that person wouldn't be specialized in CBT. You in know, G- so, for GI. Yeah. For GI. 
Yeah. So, so now all of a sudden you can recommend this to anybody, no matter where they come from. And that's yes. a huge breakthrough, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, from a, you know, from a patient perspective, expanded access to evidence-based management is always a good thing. So um excited to, to have been able to talk to you about this today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. And thanks for, for the opportunity to, to talk about a topic that's really dear to my heart. I'd like to thank my guest for today's podcast. That's Dr. Emron Mayer, uh, Simon Levy, the CEO and co-founder of Mahana Therapeutics. And of course, Diane, our IBS patient who sh shared her IBS illness journey story with us today. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Take good care, everyone. Bye now. Join us again next month for another episode of Tuesday Night IBS. And be sure to follow the conversation on our Twitter page at hashtag Tuesday Night IBS. We host live Twitter chats on the second Tuesday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with our monthly guest and encourage you to join in on the conversation. In addition, check out our page on Facebook at Tuesday Night IBS find video presentations provided monthly by our guest experts to further guide our learning and conversation about these important topics. See you next month.